audience as well. Thank you, guys. I have a simple question for you today to start off with. Do you have an unmet need right now? Do you have an expectation that something hasn't come through for you yet? But you're believing God for something, but maybe you're losing faith in that. Maybe you're starting to justify it and say, well, God, maybe it's not meant to happen for me. Maybe this isn't going to come through. Maybe it's not in the cards. We have a tendency to do that. But there's a story tucked into the Christmas story about another couple other than Mary and Joseph named Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to talk about their story today. Today's message is called How God Uses Your Unique Story. And so I'm, I'm excited about this message. I want to dive right in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's do it. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's instructions and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, I want to just put my finger there and just mention one thing. Did you notice that they loved the Lord? They obeyed His commands. They honored God. I mean, for goodness sake, they were priests in the, in the church, right? I mean, they were, you could not get more spiritual, and yet they didn't get what they wanted. I want to point it out, because sometimes you think, oh, if I was just more spiritual, if I just prayed more, if I just knew the word better, then I would get what I want. But all of us have things, unmet expectations, unmet needs. Everyone does. And this is a story about that. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. I love that line. I want to tell you something right now. If you came here today and we know you know what's going on, but God knows. And he says, I heard your prayer. Isn't that good to know that? God heard your prayer. Since your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you to name him John, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. First thing I want to encourage you today is this. Never give up on God, because he is not giving up on you. I just want to encourage you. It's easy to kind of lose your faith and to believe, oh, you know, I guess it's not going to happen for me. God doesn't want me to meet the right person. God doesn't want my kid to turn around and honor him. God doesn't want me to have a spiritual breakthrough or a financial breakthrough or whatever. That's just not true. God is a God who comes through. He's a God you can count on every time. Let's fast forward in the story. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about John the Baptist, by the way. And so it says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. This is one of the first, this is the first time God shows up again in over 430 years. So let's rewind. Can we do that? Let's rewind. Back 430 years, and I want to read the last line of the Old Testament. Okay, check it out. It says this. This is what Malachi says. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Oh, wait. It, it just mentioned in Luke chapter 1 that John the Baptist would be like the prophet who? Elijah. Now let's look at this again. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and, dead, and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers. So what we have here are bookends. 
And the reason I want to mention this is because we have a tendency to disconnect the Old and New Testament when they are directly connected together. This is the plugs, plugging in. Oh, look at that. That fits perfectly in that. So the last guy in the Old Testament, uh, there's going to be a guy that's going to be like Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the children back towards each other. And then, behold, there's a, there, your, your child, Zechariah, is going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the children back to each other. Boom. They connect. Did you catch that? So I want to show you this on the screen because this is what we call the intertestamental period. Okay, turn to the person next to you right now and say you're about to learn something. Just let them know right now. Okay, so we're going to go into seminary class for just a moment if I can. Because we have a tendency to believe that this is called the silent time of God. People say the silent period of God when God didn't speak for 430 years. But I want to encourage you. Have you ever had God not speak to you? You ever felt like the Lord wasn't speaking to you? Could it be that maybe God's not speaking to you because he's busy lining things up for you? So I want to show you something real quick. Let me just go back to the screen here if I can. I want to show you real quick. So the last verse we have is what? His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Then we have the intertestamental period. There's four things that happen that are very strategic that God allows to happen in history. The first is called Hellenization. Big fancy word. It just means that the Greeks took over. They literally took over half the world uh, through a guy named Alexander the Great. The Great doesn't mean great. It means like you're a horrible person great. And so he won all of his battles. What are the chances of one, one uh, general from Macedonia winning every battle he's ever fought? What are the chances of that unless God must have been in it? Because he wanted Hellenization to happen so that everyone was forced to learn the Greek language. So now we have a common language. That's important because without a common language, how can the gospel spread quickly? Next thing that happened, Septuagint. This is when 72 scholars got together, Old Testament Hebrew scholars, and since they were forced to learn Greek, they said, well, if we're all going to have to learn Greek, that means our kids and grandkids aren't going to know our language anymore, so our Bible will be useless to them, so let's interpret it into the Greek language. So the Septuagint is the, basically the Old Testament translated into Greek. So now we have a common book. Then the Apocrypha happened. The Apocrypha happened is when we had books that scholars tried to say these are, these are of the Bible, these are from, from, from the Lord, but the original Hebrew people didn't take to it. They're like, no, we never heard of these, and these don't make a lot of sense to us. And then we had some church fathers come along and say, you must accept these books. So then what we had was we learned what? We learned how to separate truth from dogma. We need to learn this again. We have people telling us, you must believe this. And it's just like, that's really not why I want to believe anything, because because my grandmama said to, because my daddy forced me to, because some preacher pounded his, his, his you know, fist hard enough against the, the, the podium and yelled, no, that's not, that doesn't make me believe. That makes me actually push back. So we have the separation of truth from dogma. Then we have the diasporia. Diasporia is a fancy word for dispersion. This means that the Jews were spread all over the world. Did you know Israel was not even a state any longer? I don't know if you knew that. What's really funny to me is when I see people on Twitter say, I don't like Christmas because it's just a Christian, it's a Christian thing, and I don't like Christianity because they say this, it's all about colonization, it's a white man's religion. I just have to laugh and say, that clearly tells me you know nothing about history. Because the last time I checked, Jesus came out of the Middle East. You seen a lot of white people over there? <laughs> clearly not a white man's religion. And so then on top of that, Israel wasn't the oppressor, they were the oppressed. The Greeks and the Romans came over and ruled over them. Who do you think Pilate worked for? He didn't work for the Jews. He worked for the Romans. His job was to clamp down on the Jews and say, shut up and do what we tell you. Learn our language. Follow our religion rules. 
So it's the exact opposite. This is why Mary would say things like, my Lord's come to visit me, and he's going to take a lowly girl like me, and he's going to raise me up, and he's going to lower princess. He was saying the princes, which are evil, he's going to lower down. He's going he's to let the people that are keep clamping down on me, he's going to release me from that. That's what that was her song was all about, by the way. So they felt like they were the oppressed because they were the oppressed. But the reason I want to put all this together is real simple. Because we are making a mistake in our culture. And I see preachers doing it now. We have this little sheet of paper in between the Old and New Testament, don't we? You guys have this? Anybody? You see this little sheet of paper and you're like, hmm. So there's the Old Testament and this New Testament. And this is what people say now. Oh, well, I don't believe in that rule because that's Old Testament. Oh, so, so because we have... A newer testament that means all the stuff that God said before is now null and void? I don't think so. So I'm going to do something that may shock you, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tear this little page right out. Because this page is man-made. I just showed you how the Old New Testament connect together. This is actually one book. Does that make sense? Until we see this one book, we'll keep making the mistake of thinking, well, I believe in the Old Testament, or I believe in the New Testament. Well, I believe in the Testament, the Word of God, cover to cover, it's all God's Word. Now, again, some people say, but my book, my Bible has some books yours doesn't have. Again, those were written, by the way, during the intertestamental period of time, and you've wondered why in the world... Does my, does my Bible different from my grandmother's Bible? I'm not trying to knock anyone's faith, but I want you to understand there's a reason why, and here's the reason. Because Jesus and the disciples never quoted any of those books, which is why scholars in the early church said these actually aren't the Bible. We're not saying they're not wisdom. We're not saying they're not good literature. We're not saying it's not good history. We're saying it's not the words of God himself. Did you hear the difference? I'm not knocking him. I just want you to understand that when, when it comes to the Word of God, there is no confusion. It's cohesive. It comes together. And Jesus is represented in every single book. It's a Christ-centric book. Does that make sense? Okay. Just want to make sense of that for you. Now, having said that, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to understand this. God is moving during the quiet times of your life, too. When you think God's silent, He's not silent. Oh, no, no. He's setting up His greatest move in your life. That's what God's actually, in fact, the longer the wait, the bigger the move. The longer the wait, I'm going to say it again so someone gets excited, the bigger the move. When you're waiting for something for a while, God has something big in that, and he's going to deliver. And so here we got Elizabeth and Zechariah. They've been waiting on the kid their whole life. And God says, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm going to answer your prayer. And so he get, he allows, God allows Zechariah to get his wife pregnant. That's always fun anyways. But okay, let's jump in here. Luke chapter 1, verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is, um, is uh, well along in years. This is a good husband. Did you catch that? He did not say my wife is old. This is a good husband. Where my women say amen right now, right? You're like, yes, that's right. I'm an old man, and she's a, a, a woman well along in years, right? I love that. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent, unable to speak until the child is born. Whoa. Now let's be honest. This feels harsh. Like, wait, what? So he makes him complete deaf mute. Boom. You can't hear. 
and you can't talk. Wow, why would, why would God do this? Is God being cruel? Is he being mean? Well, if he was being cruel, he would have said, you're not going to have that baby. That would be cruel, right? But he said, no, I'm going to shut you up. Why? Because sometimes God silences you to get you to listen to him. So can I be honest with you? Many times people tell me, I've been praying and God's just not answering my prayer. Isn't that really code for God's not done what I've asked yet? But this is where God goes silent sometimes on us. Let me keep going. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the, of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went to, into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Now let me just say this real quick. Men, have you ever received the silent treatment from your wife? <laughs> Anyone in here? I've never had, but I hear this happens. Here's what I know about this. If this ever happens, I know I screwed up somewhere. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know where, but somewhere I screwed up, right? So in the same way, women know, I'll just go quiet. Why? Because you're not listening anyways, right? Why would God be any different? God's like, you know what? I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I'm going to go, you're not going to be able to hear or speak. Why? Because you didn't listen to me. So when God seems silent, he's actually screaming, pay attention. Listen to me now so you can get your voice back. What does your voice back mean? Your credibility. So you can begin to speak again, right? So you can have influence again. So when God silences you, he is screaming, listen to me. Now look what happens next. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. I love that. Everyone rejoiced. What does this mean? This is a witness. When God comes through for you, it's a witness to others. It says, when the baby was eight, eight days old, almost at eight years old, that's a big mistake. When the, when, when the baby was eight days old, they, they had a circumcision ceremony. You do not want to have a circumcision ceremony when your child's eight years old. Not a good idea. Okay, so. Eight days old, they have a circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. Isn't that beautiful? Immediately, says, and he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Oh, this has gone further now. It used to be just friends and family. Then it was the whole neighborhood. Now it's the whole Judean hills. It's all over the place. Everyone's like, you, did you hear about Zechariah? Oh, yeah, couldn't speak. Now he can't. What, what happened? He named his kid the right name. God told him. Boom, God, God healed him. What? Word got out that, a, that, that, that something huge had happened. Everyone who heard about all, all this reflected on the events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Now, by the way, when Zechariah was silenced for that, for that period of time, what is this? This is symbolism of God's silence before this. So we see the symbolism here. Number four, when you obey God, he gives you a voice of influence. And let me tell you something about your voice. Use it or lose it. Can I tell you something right now in our culture? People want to cancel our faith. They want to cancel our beliefs. If you don't use your voice, there'll be a day 
you lose your ability to speak up. Use it or lose it. And so I just want to challenge you to use it. So I love how when it speaks of John the Baptist, it says he will prepare, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Are you preparing people for the coming of the Lord? You may say, well, Pastor, I was kind of hoping for like an encouraging message for me today. Well, first of all, I'll just talk about how God gives you his promises and he'll come through for you. But please do not take out the part of Scripture that's not about you, but about others. That we're called to be preparing people for the coming of the Lord. What does that mean? That means your friends and family are going to face eternity one day, and you won't be there to tell them how to do that. So you may want to prepare them now. That there is a final exam. And the final exam has one question on it. What did you do with my son Jesus? That's what God's going to ask us. And we'll either say, I accepted him or I rejected him. So have you prepared your friends and your family, your coworkers and your neighbors for the final exam? Because there may be a day that they're standing in line and they're hearing the question in front of them and you happen to be near them and they're going to turn and realize, wait, that's the question about that to answer? And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you weren't going to tell me? You let me get here without knowing this? You know what Ezekiel says? Ezekiel says there will be people's blood on our hands for not sharing our faith. Did you know that this is the perfect time to share your faith? Right now. You know why? The whole world has decorated their houses and every street corner is decorated for what? A celebration of Christ. Now people keep saying to me when I go to the store, happy holidays, and I always respond, Merry Christmas. Because I want to remind people that is what it's about, is about Christ. It's not a holiday, it's about Christ. And so how do we prepare people for the coming of the Lord? Three ways. First of all, speak up. Become a verbal witness. Let me help you with this. You say, oh yeah, I've tried that. I, I asked my friend if he knew Jesus, and he asked me all these questions I didn't know the answer to. Now let me help you with this. People do the same thing to me, and when I'm asked a question I don't know the answer to, this is what I say. I say, I don't know. Oh! <gasps> But, but then they're not going to become a Christian. Okay, wait, wait. Did you have all the questions you've ever wanted answered about the universe answered before you accepted Jesus? <laughs> Do you think you're even capable of understanding the whole universe? So if that's a prerequisite, then we're all going to hell. Because none of us fully understand how the earth is perfectly on its axis, yet if it spun off even a half an inch, we'd all be dead. But somehow that happens. Somehow in God's majesty and glory and perfection, we're not dead. We're in the only planet climatized perfectly for us to live. Total accident, of course. God has a design. We're not going to fully understand it. And by the way, let me just say it right now. I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but I want to tell you the truth. Most of the questions that your atheist friends and family would ask you, I do have an answer for. And I have debated people. I have argued with people. But I have yet to argue anyone into heaven. Not even once. I've debated people and even won the debate. But that doesn't matter because they still have to place faith. See, bottom line is this is you can win the battle and lose the war. I want people to come to Christ. And so here's what I've learned to do. Here's a great witness. In fact, my favorite witness in all the whole Old and New Testament, in all this one book that we love, is this. There's a blind guy who, who suddenly was healed by Jesus and could see. They were arguing over what all that meant. And he just said this. Look, guys, I don't know what you're arguing about, but all I know is this. I was blind. Now I can see. You know what your witness is? I was messed up. Now I'm a message. I was screwed up. 
Now God healed me. My marriage is in the gutter. Now my marriage is good. I was depressed. Now I've got hope. I was addicted. Now God has set me free from that addiction. I was screwed up. The Lord has blessed me. That's the greatest witness. And your story, much like Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, is unique to you and your needs. But God is a God who answers your needs. He will be there for you. Here's the number one thing I've learned that people are asking. They're really not asking whether God's real anymore. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, people were asking, is God real? Prove it. Now you know what they're asking? Does God work? Does God work? And the answer is yes. Jesus works. Jesus is your answer. You name the problem, he's the answer. He can fix whatever is broken in your life. I've seen it time and again. Speak up. Let people know. Number two, uh, the second thing, live different. How can we reach a world if we're just like them? We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be leading our families different. We're supposed to be husbands. You should be different than the world. If you're about yourself, how are you different? If you're, uh, listen, if you're uh, selfish, how are you different from the world? If you're cheating like the other person in school next to you students, how are you any different? If you're jumping in the back seat of the car within five minutes of a date, how are you any different? We're supposed to be different. I didn't say perfect. We all make mistakes. I've certainly made my share. But we got to be different. God wants us to live like he says to live. He says, do not transform do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're supposed to be different. And the third one, bring someone to church. This may sound really simple, but I want to encourage you with this. Here's why this week is such a great time to invite someone. Did you know that the average American, the percentage of Americans that are go to church on any average weekend 30 years ago was 40%. Now it's 25%. We're losing our country. Our faith is slipping in this country. No wonder we're in such a mess. 25%. Average on any given Sunday, congratulations, you're in that 25%. You're here right now. But let me say this. On Christmas Eve and Easter, the number jumps to 80%. Which means people that normally would say no will say yes if you invite them this week. So right now, pull out your phone. Right now, across all of our campus, pull out your phone. You're like, you're inviting me to be distracted right now, Pastor. I know, pull out your phone. Open your text and let the Holy Spirit lead you to someone you love and care for and just text this one sentence. Don't say, hey, come to church with me. Don't do that. Don't start with that. Say, hey, what are you guys doing Christmas Eve? Question mark. Don't answer what you want to say next. See what they respond and you can say, I just wanted to invite you to come to church with me. I think you'd really like it. And let's be a witness. Even those online, you can invite someone to join you online. That's fine. And you can watch together. I want to encourage you to do this. Also, we have these little cards we're going to pass out on the way out. I love these little cool little designer, little look, I told my wife designed it. And so it's a little Christmas tree. It's got a service times in the back. How cute is that, right? And so anyways, I want to encourage you to get, uh, yeah, man, I know I said the word cute. Sorry, I just, it, it fit the card, okay? Anyways, but get these cards and invite them. These are a tool for you to become a verbal witness, to simply hand it to someone you love and say, hey, I want to, I want to encourage you to come, come to church with me some of that. I think you'll love it. I really do. And, uh, and have them come with you. Let's bring it up. Bottom line is this. Will you use your voice this week to fill our campuses with new people to hear about Jesus? You know, I love giving gifts at Christmas. I love receiving gifts at Christmas. Selfishly, I love both. It's so much fun. But the greatest gift I could ever give someone is the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus himself. So let's do our part 
this week. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed? Would you take a moment to pray? Maybe God's word to you today was real simple. You may think he's silent, but he's actually lining things up for you. Maybe your prayer is to say, God, thank you that I don't have to give up on you. Maybe your prayer is to say, God, forgive me because I began to just give up on the things you told me you were going to do just because it haven't happened yet. Father, forgive me. I trust in you. Maybe for you, you've fallen for the whole, oh, this is, this is just, I just need the one half of the book. Well, no, it's all God's word. Maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Or maybe God's saying, hey, I know you follow me, but when are you going to be a witness to me? When are you going to be a witness and tell other people about your faith? When are you going to invite someone to join you in your world of knowing Christ and walking with him? We are not supposed to be a part of Jesus' secret service. We're supposed to speak up about our faith. People are supposed to know that we're different. Romans tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So right now, the first invitation is this. I invite you to become an inviter. How many of you would say today, okay, God, you're convicting me. I have not been preparing my family and friends for the coming of the Lord. I have not been a witness. If you would lift your hand high today, you're saying, I'm going to invite someone this week. Just hold your hand high if that's you. You say, I'm going to do it. Christmas is the time to do it. This is my shot. I'm going to take my shot. Hold your hand high. Come on, there should be a lot more hands going up than this. Will we do our part? Will we invite someone? Will we get uncomfortable with our faith? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with that. You know, my job is to comfort the afflicted, but sometimes it's to afflict the comfortable. It's time to get uncomfortable and do the faith thing and invite someone to church with you. And watch God open their heart just like God opened yours. Praise God. Thank you. Put your hands down. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can receive them right now by praying a very simple prayer across all of our campuses. You see, Christmas is really about one thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can receive Jesus right now. Pray this simple prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin, and I believe you rose again. Please come in my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you just gave your life to Christ, no one's looking around. Would you just hold your hand high? If you just gave your life to Christ, just hold your hand high. Thank you. Their hands going up all across our campuses. Thank you. Right here at the broadcast, all the way in the back, right here in the front. Thank you. Hold that hand high. Praise God. Thank you. We see your hand, Rodfield. Thank you. Thank you, Stone Oak. Hold that hand high. Praise God. Thank you, Padre Island. Hold that hand high. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, Portland. Hold that hand high. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. Praise God. If you're online with us right now, you can just check the button. You can just write in the text chat. Just say, my hand's raised, or click hand raised right now. We thank God for the decision you made to give your life to Christ. Father, thank you for those who prayed that simple prayer. Lord, that's what it means to become a Christian, to, to trust our lives in your hands and invite you into our hearts. I thank you, Lord, for those who just found you today. And I pray that we would do our part this week and invite someone and bring them to church so that we can be a verbal witness and know we're making an impact in this world. I pray your blessings over our efforts this week. We know we have homework to bring someone back to the church with us this Christmas Eve. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Pastor? Hey, you have a